welcome to a new episode of Time to Shine. This is your host, Oscar Santolaya. Time to Shine presents you interviews with successful public speakers who share their experience and secrets with you in a weekly podcast. Hello and thank you for joining us today. We are ready to hear a lot of creative ideas as we have today an visual artist who will discuss with us how you can promote your art by speaking. Katrina Haikala is a Finnish visual artist, public speaker, and corporate trainer. Her combination of careers creates an expertise that is hard to find. Katrina, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Oscar. Happy to have you here and really anxious to hear all your things about creativity and how to promote artists. Could you start telling us a bit more about yourself and your projects? I'm a visual artist, uh, age of 38. I had two <laughs> kids, uh, almost teenagers. I've been working together with my colleague Vilma Metteri almost 10 years uh, mm -hmm. as, as an artist. My projects are, are very controversial. They are actually social art projects, which is, mm. which is something that is normally very hard for people to understand. Okay, what is that? What is social art? Um, social art is something that where we as an artist go into a community or into a small society and we actually start to tackle with the, with the questions or the problems that the, that the community has. And then we create art together with the with the people or the group of people and as a result we always have art that is exhibited in in different places museums or galleries but it's always created with together with a group of people so it's actually art that is created together with people and for the people because our art also is always trying to find audiences that are not that let's say let's use the controversial word normal here <laughs> <laughs> Like that tries, tries to reach out to the, to, to the audiences that don't normally go to art museums or galleries mm, okay. or, or, uh, art institutions. We try to find the people who are not, uh, are the least interested in art. So we're trying to find, uh, audience that could be, could find something new into their lives from art. Our projects has been actually pretty recognized in internationally. We have our latest project is Monokini 2.0, where we design bathing suits for women who have only one breast because they have gone through mastectomy and have decided not to have a reconstruction operation. Mm. But we have also done uh, many years ago a hairy underwear collection where we actually mm. designed an underwear collection that has a printed hair in it. And that <laughs> also like uh, got, went wild in the in the viral <laughs> in Internet and every, everywhere. And we have done a project called the Dystopia Utopia with the foster home teenagers and several, several other projects, too. But these are I think that consider these the most important ones. Oh, and I want to say that uh, our art is always uh, very critical towards social norms. That's like the basis of our our art. Like, as I said, we do art together with people, for the people, but we also always try to encourage the people that we are working with to be critical towards the, the oppressing social norms. For example, the beauty idea mm. or uh, gender norms or uh, things that are really oppressing them. So that's criticality is the basics of our work. Yeah, sounds very interesting. 
And tell us, how did your career as public speaker start? I didn't mention, now that I said, uh, what is my art? I didn't mention that I also work as a performance mm -hmm. artist. So I also perform a lot. And uh, my first public speak was actually a performance in the year 2007 when I gave a performance uh, in the University of Art and Design in Helsinki. I had an auditorium full of people, very important people, and um, my, my, my performance was critical towards um, the, the new coming law about uh, the, the decision-making process in universities. And uh, I talked there... Uh, very passionately about what do I think <laughs> about the law and, and I really felt at that moment that with art and with speaking to crowds you can really make a difference. So in that play you were um, a politician? <laughs> well first of all it was not a, it was not a play it was a performance it was an artistic <laughs> performance and um, no I wasn't a politician but <laughs> maybe now that I think about it when you said it maybe you could consider me talking as a politician yeah yeah, probably. But I was talking there as an artist, but of course mm -hmm. I had a role in the performance. But I was, uh, I was, yeah, I was talking passionately there. So you, you had a speech on the, on this, uh, on this performance, you mm -hmm. had a speech. Mm, yeah, yeah, it was a speech. And that's how everything started for you in the that's, <laughs> yes that's my <laughs> that's my first experience on public speaking and if after since of course i've been i've been giving uh dozens of performances all around the world and i've been uh, publicly speaking about my artistic work i've been i've been working as a corporate trainer uh, in several, several Nordic and, and Finnish companies. And I also teach in the Aalto University. I, I am a lecturer there. So I talk to my students every week. So that's where it all started <laughs> from a performance, doing all this that I'm doing at the moment. Excellent. Could you tell us a stage right moment you had? Well, the thing is that I have, haven't, hadn't, hasn't, I haven't had any. So, Not yet. <laughs> yet. Uh, of course, I've been nervous before speeches. Uh, for example, I remember I've been a couple of times talking in Pecha Kutscha, for example, in Norway. I was a little bit nervous because there was a thousand people listening to me. Mm. But I, that I cannot consider that to be stage fright moment because I never mm -hmm. freeze. I never have a blank moment. Uh, I'm just, I'm a little bit nervous, but I think that it's good because everybody should be a little bit nervous. Then you know that you prepare yourself well when you're nervous. And these kind of a nervous moments, I don't think that I have had this for a couple of years at all. <laughs> How do you do? Don't tell us a secret. Eh? <laughs> well, you want to know my secret? I can tell you that. Well, my secret is that I know who I am. I know my personality. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. And I'm very, mm -hmm. very aware of this. And um, I always think that, okay, what if I fail? What is the worst case? What is the worst case scenario? What could happen if I fail? And then I think, well, actually nothing. No, it's just, you know, <laughs> there will be nothing will be happening. People will laugh at me. And then I'm like, well, that's good. Because then I gave some joy to them, you know. <laughs> So that's my method of not having a nervous moment or a stage fright moment. Okay, sounds sounds easy. <laughs> now going to the to the main topic we're going to discuss. In order to promote your art, such as a new exhibition, what are the most typical situations uh, that you have to speak to promote your art? First of all, I need to say that uh, promoting 
art is a very controversial topic here. Mm. Um, artists in general, and I'm saying this in general now because I know there's a lot of artists who also promote their work, but artists in general here in Finland do not like to promote their art that much because they feel that they are commercializing themselves. So that's actually why I'm also, I'm putting my words very carefully here, like what to say, but me, myself, I am a very pro promotion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And um, I think that everybody who wants to really make a difference with their art, which means that to be seen, to be heard, because if you, if you, you're not seen, if you're not heard, then you will not make a difference. If your art is only in your own studio, in your own table, and nobody will not see it, then like there won't be, you won't be making an impact into anybody. But when I'm promoting my art, I'm of course promoting it in the opening of the, of the, of the exhibitions. Museums and galleries, they arrange artist talks. And we've been doing that all by ourselves. So we've been having an open studio uh, events in here in our in our office. We, and we talk to people about our art, and which means like basically promoting what we do. And since our, for example, Monarchy 2.0 project got a lot of international attention, we've been promoting the whole project in, in several TV channels, in, in radio all over the world. I've been talking to Colombian radio station to mm. Canada to to India <laughs> to all around the world and of course then we talk to reporters and I think that when talking to reporters you need to put your words very carefully because then then you cannot actually it's really hard to uh, make sure that or you really actually want to make sure that your your message is really clear so mm -hmm. it's it's talking to media talking to the audience in the museum opening or the gallery opening But also what has happened is that uh, a lot of uh, universities, uh, art, art universities here in Finland, they have asked us to come and talk about our projects. So we're actually, we're being as lecturers talking about our art, but I find that also as promoting ourselves. So in the universities for students, in the museums, in the galleries, and also now that people know our faces, they can you know, stop me in the street and say, hey, you know, good, congratulations, I just saw a <laughs> story about you in, in, in the magazine. And then I started to talk about it. Oh, you're famous. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But of course, it's I don't find that that moment as, as like promoting exactly. Mm. But of course, if somebody asks me about something, I feel like I need to give them a good answer so that they really know what I'm doing. And I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. And who usually does this this job of speaking and, and promoting, talking about the, the art? Is the artist herself or is uh, someone else? Normally, I would say if you're an artist who have has a gallerist, then it's your gallerist that is really promoting your art. And I think that that's uh, an ideal situation for a for an artist who doesn't like to talk about his or her work. And there is artists who have chosen not to talk about their work and do not mm -hmm. like the, the promotion part at all. But um, then it's the gallerist who is promoting the work. And of course, museums, curators, um, they are, or managers, some artists even has managers, they talk about, they, they promote artists' works. But me and Vilma, my colleague, we actually promote ourselves all the time, just ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we do the, we do all the press, we do all the media, we do all the talking all the time. Which is actually pretty good because I think that when we talk about our own art, the, the, the passion towards our work really shines through. It comes from us because 
we really love the what, what we're doing mm-hmm. and we love our, our work and we also know it the best you know we we know it so it's easy to answer if somebody's asking something mm-hmm. it's easy to answer because you know well you know this is what i wanted to say with this work so mm-hmm. i think it's really it's a good strategy to to promote your art yourself because then you can really you can really show that you love what you're doing mm-hmm. you can speak with passion yes and what is your best piece of advice to someone who wants to promote her own art someone in the audience is an artist and wants to get some good ideas how to promote what can you say well my first advice is that start promoting it (laughs) (laughs) i know it's not sometimes artists might be a little bit negative towards this idea but i think it's very good to promote your art and you can think promoting in very small scale at first it's it starts from just being proud of what you do like if somebody asks what you do, what do you, what do you do for work? And you say, I'm an artist. Okay. What kind of art do you do? Then it's your moment. Start to talk about your work as that you're the best at what you do. Uh, you love what you do. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing that you really want to do in your life. So I think that that's where it starts from. So just, you know, start to do it. That's the first advice. And the second advice is that start to talk about it the way that you really would talk about it to your closest friend. So like talking with passion, talk about it as that it's the the only thing in your life that you really want to do. Because I think that 99% of the artists really love what they do. So let that come through. Let that that's this is my passion. And I feel that this is important because of this. And that, like, this is my goal. And I I feel that uh, I couldn't live without this. So let mm. that come through when you're talking about your work. Sure. So ex- express your express, express the passion you already have for your for your art. Yes. Yes. And do you have some examples? Some some artists who sh- have shown passion when explaining their art. Well, I don't have very many idols, I must mm. say, uh, but I have one, and it's the Guerrilla Girls uh, from United States. They always talk with passion, but they ha- they are very ideological. So they mm. they are uh, you even might say say that they are political, and they they always talk with passion. And their their art is actually mostly public speeches. They do posters okay. and public speeches. They are very good at what they do and they, they know there is, they know actually what they're doing. They know what they're trying to achieve and they're doing it with passion. Great. And as you, we already mentioned, you also mentioned that you are also in corporate training. How would you compare this towards uh, training for, for companies and speaking about your own art? Well, I think that the, the, of course, the, the art world and the business world, they are very different in general, but there are some, some similarities there too. When I'm, when I'm talking to my audience as an artist, I'm talking about my own work. I'm talking about mm-hmm. what I have done and why I'm doing this, why this is important. And when I'm talking as a, as a corporate trainer to the people who are participating in my training, I talk to them about why they should do the things that I'm training to them. So I'm actually like motivating them like and being inspire, uh, inspiring them to and engaging them into the, the, uh, the goals of the training. So it's a very, it's a very different approach from a, from a speaking point of view. When, when art as an artist, I'm talking about myself mm-hmm. and I'm, I don't have the, the, 
responsibility of the audience really like when they leave the leave the room that they will start to they have learned something and they will start to do things mm-hmm. in a new way but that's what i do in in the corporations that i really my goal is to make people learn something and change their behavior but as an artist i also do that too because i'm a critical artist and i would like people with my realize something new about world with my art mm-hmm. and change the way that they're thinking but it's not that pedagogical Sure. The approach is different. But what I feel that is similar to these audiences, as I might say, that the people who are participating in my trainings and the, and the audience who is listening to me uh, as an artist, I feel that what everybody really needs or most of the people needs is encouragement. And, uh, because as an artist, I'm, I'm very, I'm very courageous and I'm very inspiring and I'm very, like fearless and i feel that that's inspiring to people to audiences to see somebody being fearless and that that Mm. inspires them that like and that's actually encouraging for them and i feel the same when i'm talking to people in the in corporations that they actually need encouragement because that i think mostly people are just afraid of failure Mm. and afraid of losing their face and what I'm always saying, I'm actually saying the same thing that I said here before is that I think about like, what is the worst thing that could happen to mm-hmm. me if I fail? Nothing, nothing could happen. So, and that is, that is something that I see when people, I, I see that in people when I, I realize that, okay, they got some encouragement. So I think that everybody is actually just waiting for encouragement to see somebody who is fearless and take something from that and put it in their pockets and mm. feel a little bit courageous when they leave. Yeah. So to be inspired. Uh, yes. Common, yes. Common yes. things there. Yes. I also know that in your previous art project, you had a crowdfunding campaign. How was this experience? That was an interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a burnout after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, not really. Um, it's a lot of work. That's what I learned. It's a lot of work and uh, doesn't necessarily have any success with the work that you're putting into it. So what I really learned from it, and as I also have read about it, crowdfunding, it works very, very well for products that are mass products. Uh, because then you will have a crowd, you will have a huge crowd that mm-hmm. really wants the pro- product. But our crowdfunding campaign was about that we wanted to uh, pro- produce the monokini 2.0 bathing suits. So basically bathing suits for women who have only one breast and the bathing suit would be revealing the fact that you only have one breast. So it's not hiding anything. Mm-hmm. And what we learned is that, um, it's such a niche product that the crowd was really small. <laughs> even there was no crowd. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't the crowd. But the fact is that there actually, there is a lot of women who, who have decided to continue their life with only one breast. But the thing is that that product takes so much courage from a, mm. from a woman that, that would wear it, you know, putting on that, that bathing suit, going into a public pool and showing to everybody that I, I have only one breast. Then, then that the situation would be that necessarily the woman herself doesn't have a problem with it but sure. it might be that the, the the community or the environment would be having a problem with it so this is what we learned that the monokini 2.0 even though we got the international media 
a lot of contacts and asks uh, questions about where can I buy this and can I and and all this. We we realized that as an ideology, the whole project was really um, uh, good in a sense, sense that people really wanted to support the I- idea or the ideology behind the project, but the product at, as itself was was too much. Mm. So as as we we've kind of thought, okay, the world is not ready yet. But I hope that, you know, when we work more with this whole project and we take the exhibition all around the world, mm-hmm. the world will, I hope that world will be ready in 10 years. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what, it, what are you working yes. for? Yes, <laughs> yes. And this was, uh, your your campaign was, uh, well, was not completely successful because of the, you don't have a big crowd for that, as mm-hmm. you explained. But what can you say for, in general, for artists? Do you think crowdfunding can be a good thing for artists? Yeah, if you need a small amount of capital, I mm. would say that it works. But if you're like we were trying to crowdfund, like we we were actually asking for fifty five thousand euros, so that's that's a lot of money. But if you're just you know trying to get let's say one thousand euro for a video or for a production of uh, let's say making just working. I guess it might be okay, but what, what I, it might be workable. But what I say is that you really need to have expertise on social media. You have, you, you, you need to be very well connected to the right press. You need to know what you're actually doing. So don't, if you're planning on a crowdfunding campaign, don't think that you like just creating a campaign (laughs) will Mm. bring in some money. No, you really need to work really, really hard just promoting the whole mm. campaign. I heard the, the promotional video itself is one of the most important things. Right? It is. Yeah, it is. And then you really need to have a really good video in it. And that's also expensive to make a good video. It might be expensive mm. if you don't know the right people. Sure. Katrina, could you share with us your favorite quotation? Yes. Um, can I quote myself? Yes, you can. Okay. Um, actually, a year ago, I was thinking about the essence of my work and what really motivates me as a corporate trainer, as an artist, as a person, actually. And mm-hmm. um, I created this list uh, about, like, actually, this is like, these are like orders for myself. <laughs> orders. <laughs> orders. Orders commands. for myself. Yeah, commands for myself. <laughs> and uh, I was first, I was thinking that I will just quote the last order here or the command last command but then i was thinking maybe i should read all of this to you and this is now the first time that i'm reading this in public oh. uh, this has only been next to my next to my office desk <laughs> okay here i go uh, do the things you love do these things with people you love do these things without waiting anybody's approval but do think whose approval you really want mm-hmm. do the things you have planned and planned your things well. Do not compete, collaborate. Do not be afraid of authorities, but do give respect to the ones who really deserve it. And the last one, do not play by the rules, but know your game. And this is your... (laughs) This is my, this is a list that I have created from my own head to motivate myself or give me commands about how or methods of working how i would really like to work and how what kind of working would make me content or happy in my life so that i would shouldn't just work you know do the gray days and from eight to four Mm -hmm. i'm doing that anyway i'm doing eight to four work as an artist but still i would and, and a corporate trainer 
but I would like to keep these as commands for myself, how to keep myself motivated. So what I really actually referred to with this do not play by the rules, but know your game is that um, uh, we have so many social norms in, in, our, in our small worlds that we operate in, uh, like art world has its own social norms, or which I actually mean rules. We have written rules mm-hmm. and we have unwritten rules and the business world has its own unwritten rules and written rules. And, um, what I have, what I have realized is that actually playing by the rules, the rules that somebody else has already figured out for, for us doesn't necessarily bring you any success. I have realized that when I'm, I'm playing not, when I'm not playing by the rules, when I'm creating rules of my own, I'm actually creating a new world of, mm. uh, of working. I'm, I'm creating a new ways of working and new ways of playing together. And that actually has brought me a lot of success because I think that, that, that shows that you're courageous and um, actually you're standing out from the crowd because you're do- doing things in your own way. Then when I'm saying that, but know your game, I still need to be very aware of the context that I'm playing in. So I see my work as a, as a small place in different contexts, contexts, mm-hmm. and I still need to know where I'm playing at, but I try to create new rules in those contexts, contexts. Thanks for revealing your own quotation, <laughs> <laughs> your own rules. Am I good? Am I good promoting at myself? <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> you are convincing us that. Could you now recommend us one book that has inspired you, and you think our listeners should read it? Okay, now I'm going to give you an example how I'm not playing by the rules because uh, I'm going to give you two, even though you asked for one. Okay, you want to break the rules. <laughs> so the new rule is that two books, <laughs> two books, not only one. My first one is uh, written by David Eagleman, uh, a neuroscientist, and the book is called Incognito. It's, it uh, has been published in 2011. And the book highlights how our perception of the world is a hidden and awe-inspiring construction of the brain. So basically what, what the ego man is writing about there is that how we, how is our decision process really going through the emotions and how actually our unconscious part of the brain is already has, has already done the decisions. And then we just, our conscious, <coughs> conscious thinking actually explains us the decision that was already made. So it's very interesting and it, it actually revealed a lot of, uh, a lot of the processes that I've been going through in my head. Like, why did this go like this? And then I started to, int- uh, uh, understand myself, my o- own operating systems mm-hmm. more better. And the other book is actually written by Johann Huitzinger, who is a German histori- historian and a cultural theorist. And the book is called, uh, Homo Ludens, a playing man. And it's an old book. It's uh, published in 1938. It discusses the importance of the play element of culture and society. And Johann Huitzinger suggests that play is necessary condition of the generation of culture. And I'm actually teaching this art of play or playing theory of play in, in Alta University at the moment. And it's very interesting how Huitzinger is telling us that actually play and playing is the basis of our culture as such and i'm i'm very convinced that that's how it is like we should actually cherish and uh, embrace the element of play in our lives play more (laughs) yes (laughs) play harder (laughs) play harder no (laughs) not harder play play more 
mm-hmm. and uh, embrace the play because I think that we, the how the work routines nowadays goes as more as more I've been a corporate trainer I have realized that playing and having fun at your mm-hmm. workplace is actually seeing as something that is not good Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. And this, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I might ask, I, I actually ask my, the people who I'm training, I'm mm-hmm. asking like, what, what makes you do the things? Like what, like what, what motivates you? And then they started thinking about money and, you know, rewards. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then I'm saying like, actually, when I'm thinking about what motivates me is that when I'm having fun. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm having fun, I would like to, I would like to do that all the time. You know, if my work, if my work is fun, I'm doing it with passion. So, and what makes things really fun is if you have an element of play in the, in the work. Mm. You're usually missing that. Yes. That element of play, you say. Mm. Good. Finally, could you share with us an exercise, something practical that you recommend doing daily or weekly as a routine to shine? I want to talk about playing a little bit more. I would, I would say that everybody should take as a routine in their day. Mm-hmm playing and i i don't mean like take take your toys and start to play mm-hmm. i'm i mean like playing with ideas playing with the, the like the objects that you have around around you play with uh, play with the ideas play with words play with riddles play i'm even sometimes i'm when i'm walking to the back to the office from the lunch break i'm i'm just walking in different styles <laughs> just <laughs> for fun just for fun and that's actually the essence of play We play, human beings play because it's fun. And when you're having fun, when you're having more fun in your life, uh, you're being actually more content. You're being more happy about your life. I think that if you're miserable, you're not happy. <laughs> so when, when, you, when, you're, when you're having fun, meaning like if you're playing a little bit more, you're having more fun, it creates happiness in your life. And when you're happy and content, that shines through. So because mm-hmm. as speakers, as artists, as uh, as corporate trainers, we work with our personalities. And if your your personality is bright and and, and uh, vivid and you, you you're bursting of joy, I think that uh, you're, you're much more easily to be listened. If I think about who I would like to listen mm-hmm. every day, I would like to listen to a person who is very happy and energetic, not a person who feels like, okay, I hate my life and I hate my work. <laughs> So my, my advice is that play more. Play more, and not only football or ice hockey. <laughs> no. or well, but that too, that too, you know, whatever brings you happiness in your life, mm-hmm. whatever kind of playing. Sure, and as I agree as you say that, yeah, as a speaker, you have to, you cannot be boring, you cannot be sad in front of the audience, no? No. The audience has to feel that you are, yeah, you're happy, you're playful. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an excellent piece of advice. Yes. Katrina, this has been a very interesting interview with you. I like a lot your splash and not called splash of maybe bigger tsunami of creativity and, <laughs> and ideas that you, you brought here. And to know about all of your project and your mix of uh, background do you have. Yeah, could you finally tell us how people can learn more about you and follow you? Well, I think that everybody should uh, visit our website, which is actually uh, www dot shaken not blurred dot com so not shaken but not stirred it's shaken not blurred dot com so if you visit there you can also find uh, instructions to our social media so you will find everything how, how to follow me from there that's the easiest way shaken not blurred
dot com. Dot com. Yes. Excellent. Thank you very much, Katrina, and all the best on your speaking career and all your art projects. Thank you very much, Oscar. Same to you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Dear listeners of Time to Shine, this is the end of today's episode. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or for more information, visit our website www.timetoshinepodcast.com. Welcome to listen to us again next week.